Today we're in chapter 4 of the book of Galatians, and this is where Paul is going to finally wrap up his theological argument of the idea of salvation by grace, through faith, not by works. We're calling this one labor pains, and the reason for that is, well, because of what Paul says here in verse 19. He says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Remember, the Galatians are like Paul's spiritual children, and that's why it's so important to him that they understand that salvation equals Jesus plus nothing. That's what he taught, as opposed to what the Judaizers had swept in and taught them that salvation equals Jesus plus works. Now, one of the questions that the Galatians probably had then is, well, what is the point of the law? Is the law a bad thing? And Paul actually teaches that the law isn't bad, but that instead the law is like a babysitter waiting for the parents to get home. And now that Jesus showed up, the sitter's job is done. He started to make this point back in the last chapter in verses 24 and 25. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian or our babysitter. And he continues the line of thought in chapter 4 where he said, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. Now, there's actually a lot of theology packed into these verses because really we see the idea of the Trinity show up here, probably for the first time in Paul's writings, where he talks about the Father and how the Father sent the Son and then how the Spirit came as the promised blessing through Abraham all those years ago. But the point is that we are all children of God, Jews and Gentiles, because of faith. And then Paul goes back to Genesis for this final allegory. He says the Judaizers were like Abraham and Hagar trying to work for what God had promised. If you're unfamiliar with the story, you can read about it in Genesis 16. That's when Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant and perhaps I can have children through her. So Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal and had a child through Hagar. And here's how Paul interprets that for the Galatians. He says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Remember back in Genesis 12 and 15, God had made this promise to Abraham that he would have a great nation coming from him and that all the nations on the earth would be blessed through his offspring. But Abraham was like, well, I don't have any kids, so how is this promise going to come about? So when Abraham and Sarah devised this plan to have a son through Hagar, this was really, in essence, them taking the promise into their own hands and trying to make it happen by their own efforts. And so we can map it out like this. The old covenant was represented by Hagar and the child that was born from their own efforts, who was Ishmael. And so that represents works. And what Paul is teaching is that all of that represents bondage. We read all of that in Galatians chapter 4. But here's the point that Paul is making. True believers are like Abraham and Sarah. 
trusting God to keep his promise. Paul says that in the second part of Galatians 4.23. He says, the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. And he's referring to Genesis 18, where God said to Abraham and Sarah, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, here's the crazy thing about this passage. At this point, if you go back and read Genesis, Ishmael was already a teenager. Abraham probably just thought, well, this is what God was talking about. All of the promises are going to be fulfilled through Ishmael, the son of Hagar. He must have been shocked when God came to him years later and said, okay, now it's time. Now I'm going to fulfill the promise and I'm going to use Sarah to do it. And he makes it clear a few verses later in Genesis 18 where he says, For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. This was just a repeat of his promise from Genesis 12. And he said, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. This was God's plan all along. God was going to fulfill the promise. Abraham didn't have to do any work for it at all. In fact, Paul explains this a little bit further later in Romans chapter 4. He says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So this new covenant supersedes the old covenant. It's represented by Sarah and the child of the promise who was Isaac. And all of it is founded on the promise of God and it all leads to freedom. And Paul makes all of this clear as you read Galatians chapter 4. So I encourage you to read that again. But as you do it, Remember that there's a difference between man-made religion. That was the old covenant. That was the works. That was what the Judaizers were trying to introduce to the Galatians. There's a difference between that and God-made religion or faith that is based on God and his grace and his promises rather than on man and our attempt to earn our way to God. Now, we'll pick up that theme some more in the next chapter, but for now, answer this question with your family, your group, or your mentor. What are the marks of a man-made religion? And how is that different from the God-made religion of Christianity?